great gowns, beautiful gowns. Hi, I'm Lauren Garoni. Hi, I'm Chelsea Fairless. And welcome back to another episode of Every Outfit. Did you hear about the shortage, Lauren? <laughs> what shortage? Well, for one thing, there's an oat milk shortage. Yes, the oat milk shortage on the West Coast is affecting us very personally. Did you hear about the other shortage, though? No. The rock stud shortage? Oh. The impending rock stud shortage. I'm obsessed with this. Yeah, so a factory in Italy where Valentino was making their popular rock stud shoes burnt to the ground last week, destroying 38,000 pairs of shoes. Is God as sick of the rock stud sandal as we are? I'm guessing so. It's astonishing that that factory produced 1,300 pairs of rock stud shoes a day. Yeah, that is crazy. I mean, it's sad. It's obviously really wasteful from an environmental standpoint. But it's not like it's 38,000 pairs of tabby boots, you know? That would be a real tragedy. That would be a tragedy. I guess it's more astonishing that shoe has existed for 11 years now, and it's still popular. It's not even that bad of a shoe. We're obviously shit talking it, but it's not even like the look of it bothers me. It's just certain luxury items become so popular that they start to be adopted by like Republican women, let's just say. And then it just like becomes a Republican thing. You know, like the scalloped Chloe flats and that that Celine bag. I understand what you're saying. Something can be so popular that the pendulum swings the other way and they just become offensive. Exactly. Yeah. So I don't know where I don't know where the MILFs in Brentwood are going to to get their shoes now. Did you see that Prada actually lent their factory to Valentino so they can get up on their feet? I did hear that. I love that. Very sweet. (laughs) They're like, we'll we'll produce your tacky ass shoes. Ugh. So this podcast in general is an outlet for us to discuss our other pop cultural occupations outside of Sex and the City. However, when there are things related to discuss, we shall. And oh boy, is there one to discuss. Aiden's back, baby. Yeah, in an interview with Page Six, John Corbett revealed that he's going to be back for the limited and just like that series. So he gave this interview just to announce the Sex and the City thing, or? No, he's on a show with Katie Seagal called Rebel. And like the rest of the page six article is about that. But obviously this interviewer must have been like, oh, so Sex and the City is coming back. Uh, might there be a role for Aiden? I'm assuming this is what happened. All you see is his quotes. And he said, uh, I'm going to do the show. And his other quotes are adding that the news is very exciting for him. So we take this page six article to be the truth we post about it on our instagram account and then we get a comment from none other than sarah jessica parker who we always love when she comments but this one was really juicy she said and pretty instantaneously after we post yeah immediately after so she said i'm not saying one way or another whether our beloved mr corbett's interview deals in facts or fiction but the response is amazing to read so she's kind of lovingly respectfully throwing him under the bus if i'm reading Reading the subtext of this, it feels like a very classy, hey, you weren't supposed to fucking say that yet. Yeah, that's what I took from it too. Or who knows how far along in the process it is. Maybe they just called to ask for his availability. That's what I'm assuming. That's, again, these are our assumptions. If you're listening to this podcast, you probably follow every outfit in Sex and the City. It's what we do, kind of conjecture. But It seems like probably Michael Patrick King gave him the call of like, hey, we're writing something for you. Yeah. 
And it makes sense that Aiden would be in this. Like, who doesn't want to see him if a little bit? I think... Yeah, I want to see him in one episode, but I don't know if I need a whole nother plot of it. But I don't know. I mean, I'm excited to see where the writers take this. Maybe there is something new that they can do with Aiden. Although I just worry about Aiden's own emotional state because like how many times can you be rejected by the same person? Very true, very true. So this post, which is not even a day old, has... 3,000 comments. People have run away with the idea that, well, then Aiden is going to be her love interest for the season, and what happened to his wife, Kathy, and they have three boys, and wouldn't his oldest boy be 18 this year? I know. Tate's Tate's going to college. Where do we think Tate's going to college? (laughs) Berkeley School of Music. I think that what's going to happen is that Aiden and Tate are going to be in Bed Bath & Beyond shopping for like dorm stuff. And Carrie's going to be there just getting like whatever, something she needs. Because she had to move back to her West Village apartment because Big has passed away, potentially. Yeah. Tate's moving away, so Aiden will have some empty nest vibes. It'll like bring them together again. Or, hear me out, what if it's a... Because we've posited, you know, plots for Sex and the City 3 that involve Samantha's funeral and it's all very first wives club but what if it's more high fidelity what if carrie is going back through her dating past to figure out how she ended up here oh that makes sense i can see that for sure i mean i feel like if she is going to be back involved with aiden that does make sense but i feel like he's if they're gonna actually date he's gonna have to be sophisticated i was i was gonna say slightly more successful than he was before like he will have have to have designed some boutique hotel or something that he opened in like hudson valley oh he definitely has a cb2 collab line he's on like one of those architectural digest power ranking lists or something well i will say since the show aiden's whole aesthetic i feel like the culture has come around to he is just sort of brooklyn before brooklyn also it's like the dad bod has come around is is his body finally going to be celebrated and not shamed. I have to say, if they're bringing Aiden back, because John Corbett kind of has looked like John Corbett for the last 20 years, good for him, but I feel like Aiden needs a new look, right? The season three when he was introduced, he had the long hair, and as Charlotte kind of rudely says, the turquoise in the belly. In the second season, he's buffer, he's lost the turquoise, he's got short hair. Well, he also had a spray tan. I'm afraid they're going to make him even more tan now, like they did with Chris Maloney on the Law & Order Organized Crime. Oh no, your worst fear. But I was looking up photos of John Corbett and there's a red carpet picture of him and his longtime love, Bo Derek, where he has a beard, just like a salt and pepper, more salt than pepper beard. And I was like, I'd be into this Aiden look. Yeah, it's hot. He looks like a Prada men's model or something. It's interesting that John Corbett in his personal life has been with his partner, Bo Derek, and they never got married. And Aiden was someone who was always pushing to get married and live a very traditional life. Because I feel like Carrie would be down to just... I've, I've always imagined Carrie in a, like, Kurt Russell, Goldie Hawn. We've just... We're together for 20 totally. years. We don't need to get married. Maybe we have a kid. Maybe we don't. I mean, she will have kids, I guess. Kind of. His kids. Stepmom vibes. That is oh, Carrie's that would be path. cute if it goes in a direction that's kind of like the film Stepmom, where, like, <laughs> Aiden's mom is dying of... Ca- Aiden's wife, wife. is... Wife dying of cancer and then she has to take over and like raise the bratty little rugrats uh, yes no? yes the, and then they sing ain't no mountain high enough yes the 1997 susan sarandon julia roberts ed harris joint stepmom if you know you know 
But that's the perfect role for Carrie maternally, right? Because you think in the last season there was a whole episode, right? In season one, there's a pregnancy scare, and then they don't talk about babies of uh, re-Carrie until season six, where Charlotte's like, you're 38. Haven't you thought about having kids? And Carrie's like, I don't know, not really. But that's interesting that that was never opened up as a storyline, because I think Carrie would make a great stepmom. Yeah, totally. I, it's just, it's... Again, we made this point in our very first podcast episode and just like that where we talk about the limited series which is i'm so intrigued how they're going to handle this because i feel like they've burned through so much story with sex in the city too i mean they brought aiden back yeah she kissed him and then she was like oops yeah and then big gave her a big black diamond what yeah we don't really know if that impacted aiden's marriage at all do we think aiden confessed to his wife that he kissed carrie I hope he didn't, honestly, because what's the point? I don't think she should have told Big. All right. Have we exhausted this? Shall we move on? All right. This has been, well, I mean, it's been a depressing week for several reasons, but just us personally, we're dealing with uh, the famed Cinerama Dome and Arclight closing. Yeah, this is terrible news. I saw every movie there. Like, I hardly ever go to other theaters in LA. You're going to have to discover what other theaters exist. And you might think like, okay, so why do people care so much about this one movie theater if you don't live in LA? It has so much going for it. It had, okay, first of all, there's the Cinerama Dome, right? Which is... Please do it in a Stefan voice. (laughs) That's how I feel about the Arclight, though. It did have everything. Cinerama Dome, which is like this amazing feat of 1960s architecture. Then we have the bar. Actually, there's two bars at Arclight. So you can drink in the theater, the bartender's flawless, amazing cocktails. Well, you're talking about our one particular favorite. What was his name? I don't know. Johnny? There's this one bartender at Arclight that just made the most insane Moscow mule I've ever had. And he had a handlebar mustache and was bald. And the other thing about... excellent taste in films. Yes, because at the Arclight, the whole thing is every employee has a name tag and underneath it, their favorite film. And his was Orlando. Okay, first it was The Hours and then he changed it to Orlando. So it was like Virginia Woolf adaptations only. Genius. So yeah, Hollywood was rocked on Monday with the closing of not only the Arclight Cinemas, but also the Pacific Theater Cinemas. In a statement, Decurion, which is the company that owns all these theaters, said, this was not the outcome anyone wanted, but despite a huge effort that exhausted all potential options, the company does not have a viable way forward. So I went down a rabbit hole trying to understand how this happened. And basically what they did is, the company isn't bankrupt. They're in the middle of lease negotiations and to me this is the most disturbing statement they basically just handed the keys back to the landlord and the landlord's going to figure out which keys they're going to return but then also (laughs) many of the Arclight venues the chain which I assume means Decurion doesn't own so for those that don't live in Los Angeles how often are we going to have to say that (sighs) trigger warning take a drink when uh every time we say if you don't live in los angeles or we live in los angeles the cinerama dome was built in the 1960s it's known for its geodesic dome shape hence the name uh and its curved screen so that was built in the 60s and then in the early 2000s they built the a multiplex next to it which was the arc light and then they opened several locations and then also there's the Pacific Theaters, which would be the theater in the outdoor mall, The Grove, and the Americana. Oh, that's the one in The Grove. Yes, that's what Pacific Theaters is. Oh, okay. 
Sucks. I mean, we saw the best movies there. We saw The Handmaiden. We saw The Handmaiden together. We saw, um, fuck, we saw Phantom Thread there. On on Valentine's Day. We saw, you know what else we saw on Valentine's Day? Fifty Shades. (laughs) Yeah. That was an extra special day for reasons that you probably don't want me to to discuss on the podcast. Um, No, no, no. We can talk about it. But let's just say I had some elective facial surgery that I was told I would be healed by this time and I definitely wasn't. She still had all the bandages on her face. I was told the bandages would come off in a week. (laughs) You're like they better come off before Fifty Shades of Grey comes out. So Chelsea and I (laughs) saw every Fifty Shades film in theaters non-ironically together so I wasn't gonna miss this one. You know a real LA person when they're willing to go out in public with just like the full by the way no one blinked an eye okay (laughs) do you remember who was sitting next to us it was a couple who had across the street from the arc light is a is a chipotle they had gotten chipotle and were fully eating it next to us in the theater yeah what a great valentine's day date for them I also thought you were talking about the time we saw the third Fifty Shades film, which was, for some reason, we saw it the weekend Black Panther opens, mm-hmm. and everyone... Oh, that was so embarrassing. But it was... For us. For us. Because everyone was seeing Black Panther. Everyone was in full Wakanda glam. And us and a friend of ours were the annoying white bitches seeing Fifty Shades. So embarrassing. Anyway, here's the thing. There's no doubt that the arc light, at least the Hollywood location, is going to survive. Because beyond it being the movie theater that basically everyone in the industry goes to. Like, you would go and see Quentin Tarantino there, Edgar Wright, or whomever. Also, the celeb spottings? Insane. Were you there? when I saw Amber Heard and FaceTiming with Elon Musk at the bar? Yes, because I'm the one who pointed it out. Okay, okay. I wasn't sure. <laughs> and she was asking the bartender to pull, basically pour a full bottle of red wine into a glass. <laughs> yeah, we also saw Charlize Theron and her kids there together. What else? Were you there when I saw Isabella Rossellini? No. That was major. That is very major. Anyway. But beyond that, it's also a place where a lot of Q&As happen, premieres happen. So... It's very Amazon's gonna buy it. I know, and but that's the depressing thing. It's like it's going to survive, which is good. But the depressing part is who is gonna end up owning it. Amazon is gonna buy it. We'll go there and we'll have to watch like Marvelous Mrs. Maisel or some shit. Marvel Marvelous Mrs. Maisel will be on so long that it will become the '60s, and then they'll turn like the dome into some sort of immersive experience. It's gonna make me want to die. A lot of people have thrown Quinn Tarantino's name around, and it's because in 2007, he bought the building that the New Beverly Cinema is housed in, and so he saved it from redevelopment. But saying that Quinn Tarantino should buy the Arclight is kind of like Quinn Tarantino bought a quaint local uh, carnival, and people are like, you should buy Disneyland now. It's not going to yeah, happen, guys. Totally. I mean, I'm sure that's his dream in life anyway. Then he can just... But then they'll like only show spaghetti westerns and not crappy blockbusters that we want to see. There's also like bad movies at the Arclight, for sure. You know? What do you mean bad movies? Like, well, I definitely have walked out of movies at Arclight. Like, I definitely walked out of Atomic Blonde. 
This is such an aside, but please, this is such a Chelsea thing. Chelsea did not walk out of Atomic Blonde because of the plot, the acting, but well, because... It was the it was the plot and the acting, among other things. Well, okay, I actually asked for my money back, which I never do. Wait, what? I don't and know the guy, story. the guy was like, what's the reason? And I was like, it was bad. And he was like, no, you have to provide a specific reason. And I was like, the costumes are historically inaccurate. And he was like, what? I was like, that's my reason. And he was like, okay. No one's ever said that before, which surprises me. Yeah, that seems kind of crazy for the ArcLight. I'm sure Colleen Atwood has walked out of a film or two at ArcLight and asked for her money back for that exact reason. Totally. Well, the thing about Atomic Blonde is that it was said in the 80s, but everyone's wearing current season red bottom lubes and shit, which is so crazy because like the furniture in it is legit 80s. It's as if they had a budget to go on first dibs and buy the craziest shit. Yet when it comes to clothes, it's like, nope. Anyway, ArcLight. We'll miss you. We know you'll be back, but it won't be the same. Yeah, because when we go this time, it'll be like Whole Foods and they'll scan our Amazon Prime QR codes off of our phones and we'll be able to watch Promising Young Woman for like $5, (laughs) right? Yeah, I wonder if you have a Prime membership, if you'll get that that, uh, caramel corn for free. Mm, Here's hoping. So the Met Gala is coming back. The theme is... Our great land, America. I mean, to be specific, American fashion, but yes. American fashion, American fashion designers. And we're getting not one, but two shows, two exhibitions and two Met Galas. Government guidelines, depending. (laughs) It's crazy. I feel like the Met's themes have become increasingly conceptual over the years. In recent years, we've had the the machine one. We had the camp exhibit. We had the The Catholic imagination. And now they've finally picked a theme that people could understand, which is American fashion. And they're like, oh, that's that's too simplistic. We need to now have two full separate shows just to confuse people. The first event, which will be a smaller exhibition, is In America, a lexicon of fashion, which will debut in the Anna Wintour Costume Center on September 18th, formerly known as the Costume Institute. And it will debut on September 18th, 2021, just in time for the return of in-person fashion week. To me, this smells of a larger PR effort to put American fashion back on the map after what can only be described as the most harrowing and lackluster couple of seasons in the history of New York Fashion Week. Yeah, the second show, which will debut in its usual spot, which is the first Monday in May in 2020, is called In America, an Anthology of Fashion. It seems like the first exhibit, Lexicon of Fashion, is going to do just that. It's more of a historical view of fashion, while the second show is more of a contemporary vision of American fashion. And they've noted that this is... Wait, I thought the first show has all the contemporary designers. That's the one that's all the Pierre Moss and Andre Walker and stuff. I don't know. The second part is In America, an Anthology of Fashion, and the exhibit is all about inclusivity. So the quote is, examining the history of fashion in context of race, gender, and materiality while also considering who was able to inhabit the rooms and who was barred from doing so. They realized that people of color were very (laughs) underrepresented in the past two shows they've done about American fashion, so I guess it's time to make things right. I mean, to me, it's not the most exciting theme. Obviously, there's tons of American fashion designers that are incredible whose work I'm very excited to see. 
But why does Anna Wintour care so much about American fashion? She's not even American. Well, we should note that we're saying Anna Wintour a lot, but she's the chairwoman on the board of the Costume Institute. It's Andrew Bolton, who is the curator of the Costume Institute, who sets the themes and usually years ahead, he's thinking about what he wants to do. I don't know. This seems uh, we thought of this a year ago. Right. A little slapdash. I'm just saying, which I don't think is necessarily a bad thing. If I may posit a theory, Andrew Bolton was looking at all the civil unrest last summer and went, ooh, we haven't really represented uh, POC designers in these shows, have we? Yeah, no, they definitely haven't. And I think this is a great opportunity for them to showcase the work of lesser known OGs like Anne Lowe and Zelda Wynn Valdes into all of the incredible designers from the 1980s, you know, like Patrick Kelly, Willie Smith, people that were so incredibly influential and are influential on fashion today that don't really get that recognition. Like there would be no Virgil Abloh without Willie Smith. There would be no fucking Jeremy Scott for sure without Patrick Kelly. But I don't think a lot of people really think about that lineage. But that's what these shows do. You know, they draw those sort of parallels. We hope so. I'm I'm really excited to see all of those 80s designers, as well as, I mean, my favorite era of American fashion is the 1970s. It's, you know, Halston, Scott Berry, Stephen Burroughs, all of that shit. I love that shit. Do you love that shit? I love that shit. And I'm really excited to see it. And of course, everything from the 90s when I was growing up, when I fell in love with fashion, the Isaac Mizrahi, the the Tom Ford, the Todd Oldham. That's what I was about to say. I'm interested if they're going to show, because there are several designers especially American designers of the 90s who just stopped designing that were so influential like a Todd Oldham like an Isaac Mizrahi I don't think they wanted to stop designing okay yes it was not by choice <laughs> I don't think that choice. was I don't think Isaac Mizrahi's like you know what I'm gonna pivot to QVC and like doing shows at the Carlisle that's what sucks so much about the American fashion industry is that there's so many just great people that can't find commercial or financial success within the industry at this particular juncture. It's all about the the big luxury houses and then these like random Instagram brands. Speaking of Instagram, the show's corporate sponsor this year is Instagram. So we might have to see James Charles attend his second Met Gala is what you're saying? Seeing that there are a lot of accusations against James Charles, probably not this year, but (laughs) I forgot. I was going through the history of the different Met Galas because this seemed like the most overt inner internet-based sponsor, but then I saw that Amazon and Jeff Bezos was the corporate sponsor for the Scaparelli Prada show in 2012, so this is not mm. the first time they've charted these kinds of waters. Mm. I'm waiting for Netflix to start oh, yeah. sponsoring. Well, maybe Netflix can sponsor the exhibit that we actually want, which is a Hollywood costume exhibition, which we always talk about, because they haven't done one since what? like Diana Vreeland during the 70s. Yeah, exactly. Let's do it again. All right, should we get into our red carpet predictions? Sure. Or really, shall I say, us writing fan fiction about what we want to see on the red carpet. I'll start. I want to see Wendy Williams in a Moschino version of the Statue of Liberty costume that she fainted in. Oh, sorry. Are we being funny or realistic? Because... Well, unfortunately, we're not being realistic, Lauren. I mean, God, I could only dream. I know. Because, you know, realistically, I could say Blake Lively and Ralph Lauren, but... Yeah. Which is something that is definitely going to happen. Well, I hope it's I hope it's Diane Keaton and not Blake Lively. My, that's my only hope. I hope that she shows up in some weird denim tuxedo with a giant belt or something. That would be fab. Isn't that technically Canadian? <laughs> Whatever. 
For me, I would love to see one of the designers we haven't mentioned previously, Betsy Johnson, mm-hmm. dressing Bella Hadid. And then they would do cartwheels up the stairs. Okay. I mean, I love this idea. Thank you. Bella Hadid seems flexible. Seems like she'd be down. All right. What else do you have? I have, I want to see Will Smith in archival Willie Smith. Ooh. Or if they can't find something formal enough, some Virgil Abloh tribute to Willie Smith with the Willie Wear logo like embroidered on the back of his jacket. That would be so major. Yeah, what's what's going to be interesting to see is who, whether it's Tom Ford or Michael Kors, who gets to actually design the Bobo Halston outfits. Yeah, they have to like flip a coin or something. They're like, who's getting Pat Cleveland and her daughter? That's what Anna Winter is actually doing. She's flipping a coin to see which designer <laughs> gets to gets to redesign Halston for the show. Yeah, I think that I think that's going to be a lot of people. Well, yeah, because, well, as a, as we get closer to the actual Met Gala, we'll do a more expansive view on the history of it and kind of how the red carpet has become what it is now. See, to me, it's less about, like, the looks, and I more want to see different celebrities there that we haven't seen in previous years. So, for example, I would really like to see Dolly Parton in Gucci. I think that would be fab. What? Like, a design, like a Maya Breckenridge American flag bustier? Something, something that's riffing on kind of the old old school country western couture you know that's its own micro industry in Nashville and I think that would be really fab to see them play with that and also someone in the Gucci family that hasn't already drunk the Kool-Aid like I don't need Jared Leto in a fucking nudie suit but I'm sure that's going to happen I would love to see Anna Sui and Mark Jacobs attend together cute or BFFs since back in the day or you have Kelly Marie Tran and Timothy Chalamet dressed is Anna Sweet and Marc Jacobs. Love that. This is what we always bemoan about the Met Gala red carpet. Not enough fun concepts going on yeah. on the red carpet. Like, we always bitch about the fact that during the Catholic Imagination year, Jimmy Fallon and Stephen Colbert walked the red carpet together, but they weren't dressed as, like, altar boys. Or nuns. That would have been incredible. I hate that. Also, the thing that drives me the most crazy is that Cardi B was pregnant that year and didn't dress as a nun. Like, you're psychotic. I would also love to see Balenciaga dress Ice-T and Richard Belzer from Law & Order SVU. Fabulous. Wouldn't that be cute? And then they could have one hot model with them, you know, like a Bella in like some sort of latex dress or something. That's true. My other thought was, because you know Diane von Furstenberg is going to be featured prominently and probably have her own table if you get like Haley, Bieber, Kendall, Bella, and Gigi all dressed in the wrap dress. That's cute. And they can just like sort of walk behind her like Gwen Stefani did with the Harajuku girls. Uh, and I know I just mentioned the wrap dress, which I know is very triggering for you, Chelsea. Oh, I hate a wrap dress. Look, I just think the wrap dress is a lie in that it's marketed as being universally flattering. And honey, it is not. I'm sure many listeners have felt the shame of trying on a wrap dress in a poorly lit Nordstrom bathroom. And it's enough to make you have like a carry breakdown where you like rip the dress off of you and then get some sort of terrible rash. So yeah, guys, Metcal is back. Yeah, I'm I'm excited. I, I think it's going to be fab. I also hope that we see, I love in a Met Gala when a designer pays homage to another designer. So I'd love to see Marc Jacobs do like a Rudy Gernreich tribute. Or I'd, I'd love to see someone do an incredible Stephen Sprouse tribute. Jeremy Scott, maybe? Something like that. I just, I always think that that's cute. And guys, just temper your expectations. We're probably not going to get that till the May 2022 show. So much fun fashion news this week. 
Did you see the Gucci Balenciaga hybrid show this morning? Yeah, as we sat down to record, this collection debuted. It was rumored in the days previous that there was going to be some collab between these two brands. And then, boom, here we go. And it was part of a larger Gucci show. Like, they did a full fashion show. Yeah, it's Gucci's 100th anniversary. So for its 100th anniversary, Gucci decided to do a collab with Balenciaga. They're both owned by the same corporation. So it's not that surprising that this happened. I mean, it's major. I know I've talked to you about this before, but I've been wanting this to happen for years, which is... You have? Well, not these specific brands collaborating together, but luxury brands collaborating with each other. Because normally it's a mass market brand that collaborates with a high fashion brand. Right. You know? It's never... Or it's like... Nike collaborates with whoever. It's never like this. The closest that we've gotten to this was the Dries Van Noten, Christian Lacroix collection from, I feel like, a couple years ago. But that's not the same, especially because Lacroix isn't a brand anymore. This is sort of the um, Godzilla versus King Kong of fashion collections. So yeah, again, it's Gucci's 100th anniversary. There were a lot of nods to the brand's origin. Uh, There were a lot of hats that had Savoy on it, which is... Uh, a reference to Gucci Gucci's first job as a lift operator at the Savoy Hotel. It was a lot of slutty equestrian stuff. Which is a little weird. Obviously, Gucci has always had the horse bit as a detail that you've seen on their bags, but they're not known as an equestrian brand. Like, that's Hermes. Hermes started as equestrian accessories. But of course, it's like the overlap of BDSM and equestrian shit. You know, it's it's there was lots of harnesses. I, one thing that I like to see is that they brought back that red velvet suit that Gwyneth Paltrow wore, like from the Tom Ford era. That was nice. Yeah, I saw on Instagram that Alessandro said that Alessandro, the designer for Gucci, that he was very inspired by Tom Ford's kind of reign at Gucci. And that was kind of... Well, you wouldn't know it by this show. No, but but that one piece, sure. Yeah, it opened with the corduroy red tuxedo that Gwyneth Paltrow wore to the VMAs in I believe 96 or 97. And the Balenciaga collab stuff was it was as if both of their most iconic pieces fucked and became like a high had a baby and then a hybrid piece came out. So it was like the Balenciaga hourglass bag with the classic Gucci canvas print. Yeah and then you saw like Gucci floral prints on those Balenciaga spandex shoes slash tight slash pants that they always do. There was the Jackie bag with the Balenciaga all over it. It was really cute. I mean, people are going to lose their, lose mind. their minds when that shit comes out. That's I feel like be... these bags are already waitlisted and they just debuted. Yeah, they're really, they are really beautiful. And I hope that other brands follow suit. I like this reaching across the aisle, you know, the way that Prada has done with Valentino. It's nice. It's nice. It makes me feel warm and fuzzy. The fashion solidarity. Yeah. The cross-pollination is just, it's fun. As a fan of fashion and someone that, you know, you always keep up with all of these different brands, it's just fun to see. All right. Shall we go to the Kardashian of it all? Sure. Kardashaholics Anonymous. This is a case for the FBI. Slow Kardashian week. It's been a slow week. It's been such a slow week that we only really have 
two things to talk about. The first being the fake gay panic storyline that they put into the Kardashian <laughs> episode where Kim and Chloe tried to allude that maybe Courtney was in a lesbian relationship with Addison Ray. First off, this happened because Mason, I mean, I'm sure Mason was coached. I'm sorry. I'm just going to say it. Mason was coached to say that Addison and Courtney slept in the same bed when she stayed over. When you were watching that scene, so it's it's in the Malibu house that they're renting outside and there's a long table and they're kind of grilling Addison. Did you see Kendall's look? All I did was focus on Kendall and she looks so embarrassed to be there of like, guys, I don't agree with this storyline. I can't believe I was scheduled to come film today. <laughs> totally. I mean, it would be a plausible explanation for why Courtney, a 41-year-old, would want to spend so much time with Addison, a 20-year-old. And, you know, it's true that no one wants to les out more than like bored, rich, straight moms. But if that was the case, like we wouldn't be finding out about it through the Kardashians. Yeah, although I'm kind of into this. If this were like a lot of a horror film by Nicholas Rending Ref, a sort of like neon demon thing of an aging reality <laughs> star who's trying to like suck the youth out of a younger influencer. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Alas, that's not happening. Also, if you'll recall, this is the second time that Courtney has queer baited us. What was the first Do you time? Remember? Okay. I don't know if it was on the Kardashians or one of the Kardashian spinoffs, but Courtney made out with my friend Jackie Cruz from Orange is the New Black before she was famous. You can draw your own conclusions about the reality of this particular situation, but it did happen. And it certainly wasn't Courtney's entry point into the land of alternative lifestyles. Although I think being a Kardashian qualifies as, as an alternative, alternative lifestyle. lifestyle in and of itself. I love that they push this storyline instead of negating the fact of like, it's kind of weird that you're friends with someone 20 years younger. Although I guess Scott is dating people who are 20 years younger than him. So yeah, they just needed to bring someone, someone else into the family that was young enough to like really hang out with Scott's girlfriends, you know? <laughs> Shall we talk about Safely? Did you use the Safely? Uh, I have used the safely. The saga of Chelsea ordered us the Chrissy Teigen, Chris Jenner home goods line safely, which took forever to get here. So we've used the glass cleaner. We've used the surface cleaner. Hand and soap. The hand soap. I feel like the hand soap you don't need. No one needs the hand soap, right? I find it interesting that there's no kind of fidelity across the scents. Like each category has its own scent. Yeah, well, the hand soap, I don't even know how to describe the hand soap. I guess it's kind of herbal. It's really subtle, though. It's not It's not an overwhelming fragrance. It certainly doesn't, it, it smells neutral. It doesn't smell expensive, but it doesn't smell cheap. It's just kind of somewhere in the middle. I still stand by the fact that I think the color range amongst the bottles is a little cheap. Yeah, but have you looked at any other cleaning products? It all looks cheap. Even I mostly use Mrs. Myers and it's like, it doesn't look that good. Like I still think, although Safely clearly doesn't look like Skims or Yeezy, I still think it looks better than the average cleaner. Although- But see, that's what I want. I want a nude or pastel range <laughs> cleaning products. But the problem with the colors is that, okay, the bottles are all different shades of green, but the surface cleaner and the glass cleaner, the shades of green are so so identical that like I don't I can't tell which one I'm grabbing from under my sink. That probably didn't cross their mind seeing that Chris nor Chrissy clean their own homes. So they're like, whatever, this'll do. Look, I like the surface cleaner. I will continue to use that. It smells delightful. It's just lemon verbena. It's not like groundbreaking. 
But I will say it's like these bottles are big, like they're bulky. They could not accommodate MJ's arthritic little wrists, you know? Like she's not picking up a bottle of Safely. Again, they don't clean their own homes. <laughs> Can we also just briefly discuss the fact that the Kardashian family in general have a lot of product ranges that the other family members should have done? Like this should be a push vegan, non-toxic home cleaning range. You're right. Although I, ha- I have to tell you about something disappointing about Safely. My, on my surface cleaner, it broke. Like the nozzle broke. So I emailed customer support. Oh my God. Here's my email. Hello. <laughs> Sorry. I just received my bottle of Safely products and it appears that the spray nozzle on one of the bottles of Universal Cleaner is defective. Mama Chris would not approve. Could you, please, could you please send a replacement? Much thanks and God bless Calabasas. Love, Chelsea Fairless. <laughs> and then 20 minutes later, okay, this is iconic customer service. 20 minutes later, they're like, Hi, Chelsea. Thank you so much for reaching out to our team and bringing this to our attention. First, we're so sorry to hear that your order was delivered defective. This is not an experience we would ever want you to have. And we'll work to help turn your experience around and make it right. In the meantime, we're sending you a new sprayer in addition to another bottle of Universal Cleaner as an apology for the inconvenience. Blah, 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 blah. Great. Lovely customer service. Oh, and then she gave a little green emoji heart at the end. There you go. So it hasn't come yet, but... So you're saying you're meh on Safely, but you're yeah on the customer service? No, I actually do. I do like the surface cleaner and the glass cleaner. I'm not even dissing them. I will continue to use them. But if this nozzle, if this spray nozzle thing happens again, it's all over. I'll I'll keep you guys updated. Oh God, okay. I think we've really come to the end. Thanks for listening. As always, if you want to look at anything in the episode, go to everyoutfit.com slash show notes or click on the link in the episode description, which I never do because I can never find the episode description. Can you? You have to click on the episode in general and then go down. It just seems like hard, you know? Like I try I try and find it like for other podcasts like every time and I never can. Anyway, this is boring. Bye. Love you guys. Bye guys. Bye guys.